right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right. Welcome to In Your Corner with Cora Physical Therapy. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go out to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. Get your answers there. It's a great website, and you can navigate around it with no problem and get the answers that you need about your health. All right. Let's get cracking with this particular podcast. We've got a couple of great, wonderful individuals. You know, Dr. Rick. Heck yeah. You know, Dr. Rick. So for the listeners out there, let's go down. Uh, let's start with uh, a little 411 on you, Mike. Just give us a little background on who you are, and then we'll go into Jason, and then we'll just pass it over to Dr. Rick. Give us All a little right. background, Mike. Well, I've been in the business for 40 years of broadcasting, been a Cardinal broadcaster since 2006. We also have a podcast, in case you can't tell behind me, clavesonline.com. You can check us out. We have a number of great interviews and podcasts that we conduct. And uh, that's basically me. And I'm going to help out Dr. Rick tonight, talk to one of my favorite people. And he is Mr. Jason Isringhausen. And if you go down, uh, if you look at the, the video, you can tell that uh, Mike and I go to the same barber. <laughs> <laughs> all right jason give us a little 411 on who you are outside of the fact that if you go out to isring hauser uh you will find his stack card out there and uh well it's pretty impressive talk well, to why, we, why don't i do that yeah. why don't i do this i can just kind of intro him and just let everybody know a 16 year yeah. career in the big yeah. leagues 300 saves in his career 47 in the year 2004 seven seasons of 30 saves or more he's also been a two-time all-star and a World Series champion, he is Jason Isringhausen, and he has seen a lot and done a lot in that course of time. Jason, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Wow. How are you today? Great. We're awesome. <laughs> All right, Dr. Rick. I, I mean, geez, Jason, you don't have to do much uh, heavy lifting on this show because <laughs> yeah, apparently Clay, I just did it all for Clay you. Making it easy on me. <laughs> you did. You just sit back and answer questions from Dr. Rick. All right. They're all warmed up there, Dr. Rick. Make it happen, Captain. So first of all, I want to thank – Izzy, thank you. And uh, Klaibs, you guys are awesome. Um, so we're, we're going to obviously talk about baseball tonight. we got two fairly awesome. famous celebrities, one really famous celebrity and one pretty famous celebrity. <laughs> and uh, and then there's you. <laughs> and there's me. Okay. <laughs> pulling up the rear. Um, so Izzy, take 16 years in the bigs. What Tell us about your career, number one. Tell us about your injuries. Tell us about your rehab. And just give us an idea of what 16 years of, of Major League Baseball does in terms of breakdown, uh, the need for rehab, the need for surgeries, and kind of what your, what your, what your career was like. Yeah, I got, I got drafted in 1992 by the New York Mets. Um, got back, I made it up to the big leagues in 1995. Uh, come 1998, after a couple years of uh, dealing with some elbow soreness, I had my first Tommy John in 1998. Um, in college, I had a little uh, bone spur, so to speak, or a calcium deposit, and they took that out. It was actually in the ligament, that the ligament had torn a little bit. So we uh, repaired that with the first Tommy John in 1998. Uh, Dr. David Alchek uh, did that in New York. And uh, along with Dr. George Paletta, who became the 
the Cardinals team doctor. And we just, uh, you know, th that was the start of uh, many off seasons of, of, of rehab. Um, you know, I'm up to number, uh, I think number 18 surgery now. Um, throughout my career, I went through three Tommy Johns, um, some bone spurs in the elbow again, uh, some uh, uh, forearm tightness, some forearm strains, some elbow, I mean, some shoulder surgeries. I had the labrum torn. I've had the bicep tendon shredded, um, had a, a meniscus tear in both knees just from the overuse. And, you know, it, it just became a, a normal thing for me to <laughs> spend my off season rehabbing. And, and uh, you know, I, that was my normal off season was uh, going to the physical therapist, maybe having a little clean up procedure every, every year. And, uh, you know, heading to the physical therapist and working with the same guy all the time here in town where I was near St. Louis. And it's just, uh, you know, without rehab, it just never would have happened for me. Um, you know, Tommy John is, is a, is a surgery that, um, you start to feel good really quickly, but you still have to have that period of letting um, the bones heal because they do some drilling through the bones to uh, wrap that new, uh, tendon uh around the they figure eight it between your um in your elbow and then it has to grow into a ligament so to speak and it just takes time um it's just it's a waiting game it's usually a good year year and a half two years before you're back to normal uh the last thing to to come back is that touch and feel being able to place the ball where you want it again um but it's uh you know i got used to rehab and i I think I know it better than than some rehab. <laughs> you know, um, Izzy, one of the things I was going to bring up is the fact that rehab is, is would be normally a four letter word, uh, but somebody already took the other one. So for you in that situation, uh, it, it carries a lot of weight as far as how you have to rehab. And obviously, you're you're a pro at it. What were some of the things you had to learn about yourself during that process? Because I've heard different stories about how guys took on rehab, but you're a veteran. I mean, you could probably write a book on it. So what are some of the things you try to take away from rehab? So the next injury that came along, you'd be better prepared for. Uh, my whole mindset, you know, that first one, you know, you're, you're chomping at the bit to get back and you just, uh, you push it and you push it and you push it and you're always, you know, pushing the rehab guy, you're pushing your trainers. You want to throw, you want to do this, you want to do that. And, uh, you know, uh, people a lot smarter than me developed this protocol for the Tommy John surgery. And, uh, you know, it, it pays uh, large dividends to follow that protocol. Um, but, you know, you learn to be patient. It was something that I didn't have a whole lot of uh, coming up through the minor leagues. And uh, when I got first got to the big leagues, but I learned patience pretty quickly, um, letting your body heal making sure that you um, put the right things in your body, uh, things that I didn't know then that I know now, getting the proper amount of sleep, uh, you know, and it's just, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a sports car. You know, you, you get in, uh, you get out of it what you put in it. You know, you, you put bad gas into a body and it, it just doesn't heal right. Um, and I learned that the kind of the hard way through the years. And I do a lot of work with our minor league kids now with the Cardinals, and I, I try to teach them that kind of stuff. So, so tell us about velocity. You know, you, you have a TJ, you're, you're doing your rehab, things are getting better. What, what happens? How do you decide? I mean, you follow an interval throwing program. How do you decide when you're going to bump up your velocity? 
how do you decide when you're ready to get on the mound or you just kind of paint by the numbers as a, as a the rehab program tells you, or do you say to yourself, Hey, I'm feeling a little bit better. Maybe I can try to throw a little bit harder. Maybe I can try to throw a little bit farther. I, I mean, I, I have a different mindset than probably a lot of people when I, uh, when they told me I was good to go, I mean, I was going to go and uh, I went full tilt. Uh, you know, I, I learned really quick the difference between being sore and being hurt. Um, that's a lot of things that we have to teach uh, even minor leaguers and major leaguers to be able to throw when you're sore. Know the difference between being being sore and being hurt. But, uh, you know, before my first Tommy John, I was probably topping out at 94 miles an hour, 92 to 94 I had that first Tommy John and, you know, they, they go in there and they strap that ligament in there and they wind it through there pretty tight. Uh, came back feeling better than ever. Uh, I got traded from New York to Oakland and became a closer out there. And I was sitting in upper nineties, touching a hundred, a couple of times here and there. Uh, you know, that was back before, you know, everybody in the bullpen threw a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's fun to watch today, but we got a lot of throwers rather than pitchers today. And, uh, but that, that surgery is so they've, – they've perfected it so much. You see a lot of young kids that, you know, they want to have the surgery to make themselves throw harder. I mean, it's just that good of a surgery now. Um, uh, coming back from it, as long as you're patient and following the protocol, your miles per hour can pick up, you know, five to six miles an hour without a problem. Hey, Jason, for you, the human body doesn't appear that it was designed to throw a baseball. Uh, as there's a lot of stress that comes with the, the shoulder – the, the, the elbow and everything else. Was there one particular pitch for you that created the most discomfort and created mo most of the injuries that you had to endure? I, I, I can't really say one pitch. I really threw, uh, I, I guess early on, I guess my, probably my curveball because um, as you rotate your wrist, that kind of opens up the elbow a little bit. And uh, I threw a lot of curveballs and I started throwing curveballs at a very young age, which I kind of regret now. But, you know, when you're 10, 11 years old, striking everybody out with a curveball, you want to throw it more, <laughs> more you know. And uh, But I think that's what it is. I, I mean, I can show you how, you know, when you're throwing a ball and you're pushing against a wall with, like, the palm of your hand, you got a lot more power than if you try to push it with this part of your hand. And that kind of opens up this elbow joint right here and puts a lot of stress on that, uh, that little ligament and those tendons right there. And I, I threw a lot of curveballs, you know, the old uh, hammer – type of thing pulling the shade down yeah. pulling the shade down and, and that put a lot of vulgar stress on the elbow um now did i start doing it too early in my career as a young kid maybe so but you know i had that first time with john and it lasted me 11 years before i had to have the second one so um you know i i don't know one thing you know i threw fastball curveball cutter and a changeup when i was starting so i would say my curveball but i can't pinpoint that for sure and in terms of your rehab of your shoulder, let's talk about that for a minute. C comparing rehab of the shoulder to rehab of the elbow, were they the same? Were they different? Was the shoulder terrible? What g Give us a differential there. Well, I mean, I, I've also had three – well, now I've had my hip replaced totally. So I, I do believe that any ball and socket joint on the body is a much uh, much worse rehab than it is for uh, – a regular so you know regular joint rather than not a ball and socket that there's not a lot of muscle and uh in the elbow joint but when you get around the shoulder and like the hip and uh, you get into your, your your butt muscles your gluteus muscles i mean there's 
they got to cut through a lot of muscles to get to that joint. And then there's a lot of rehab that comes along with, uh, you know, building those muscles back up. And when the elbow, it's mainly just a waiting game, waiting for those, the bones to heal, like almost like a break rather than trying to get the muscles stronger again, because they're really evasive going, poking through with all these different scopes, going through those muscles. You know, when you talk about muscles and, and I think about the muscles that, that are used to throw a baseball uh, and that also takes us to mechanics. What are some mm-hmm. of the things you see big league in the big leagues that you had to learn about mechanics that you think can help other people make sure they don't make a lot of mistakes where they end up becoming injured because they had bad mechanics? Yeah, I, I think besides the elbow ligament, I think most of the muscles that really get all the 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 stress are the decelerators, which are probably in, you know, in the back of the shoulder, the things, those muscles that are going to stop that arm from falling off your body every time you throw a pitch, uh, you know, and, and they're building these athletes bigger, faster, stronger. Now they're throwing harder than ever. And they really have to have a strong core, a strong back of their shoulder, strong lat muscles, because without those muscles stopping the arm, I mean, the arm would just come off the body and everything would just shred inside the arm. Um, and that there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of, uh, you know, negative exercises to help and strengthen those muscles. But in my opinion, nothing strengthens those muscles like long tossing, because I think that long tossing is, is just like lifting for the arm. I mean, it, 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 uh, it works the accelerators and the decelerators. Um, you know, you can stand there and do, you know, the so-called Job empty can exercises all day long, but nothing really uh, will simulate throwing a baseball. So let's talk about the young kids for just a minute. You kind of mentioned that a couple of times, and, and I think everybody wants to hear two things. What, what's the difference between, let's say, Bob Gibson's era, your era, and the kids now? And how, how do kids, you, you know, you look at your era, you look at Maddox, look at some of these guys who just had pinpoint accuracy, and then you look at the kids today. So kind of walk us through the, the change in, in philosophy or the change in eras from maybe those three, and then and then what are we seeing today? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, the the specialized training that these kids go through from a very young age with the select baseball. And, uh, you know, and it goes back to the old saying of if you look at the strike zone, the strike zone back in the day used to be more horizontally. Now it's more vertically, and, and it goes with all this launch angles that they're teaching the, the hitters you know, back in the day when Gibson or Thun, those baseballs were not near wound as tight as those baseballs are today. I mean, these things like today are like golf balls and the bats are totally different. Um, you know, I, I wish we would have had more radar guns back in the day to see how hard some of these unbelievable pitchers, you know, that, that year that he had the, the 1.1 ERA, I would have loved to have seen. Um, you know, I, I think he probably threw mainly just fastball slider, but yeah. I mean, two devastating pitches that that no one's been able to, uh, accomplished since then with the ERA. I mean, he, he, he was the reason they had to lower the mound because he was making it look so easy out there. And, you know, and, and as the game has evolved, the players have evolved as uh, bigger, faster, stronger, you know, back in the day you had Frank Howard, who was, who was the, the monster back in the day. And now you've got three or four guys on the team that size, you know, with Judge <laughs> and Stanton and guys on the Yankees, stuff yeah. like that, and Luke Voigt. Uh, these guys look like bodybuilders now. And back in the day, they were tall, slender, far, country farm kids that, you know, every year 
every offseason they had to go home and get a job because there wasn't the kind of money there was today. These guys train 365 days a year. So they're bigger, faster, stronger. They throw harder. They hit it farther. Uh, and as the game evolves with the analytics, we're learning how to throw vertically in the zone, which means that these kids are being trained to throw harder. We have these driveline uh, performance labs that teach these kids how to throw with weighted balls and get the most out of their body, the most velocity they can get. And it comes down to the, the velocity up in the zone more than hitting the corners, which way it used to be. Um, we have a new CBA coming up, a new collective bargaining agreement, and they may change the strike zone. So it seems like this game gets – it goes one way, and then it goes back the other way, and then it's going to go a different way, and it's going to come back to the old way. I just <laughs> – the game keeps evolving. It's that The train's never going to stop, and we just have to try to keep that – we try to keep our players, you know, one step ahead of, of the hitters for me as a pitcher and working with our pitching. But uh, I see a lot of more kids now, all they care about is throwing hard. They don't care where it goes. Uh, I would love to see some kids – you know, back off and maybe throw 85% and work the corners more rather than throwing it right down the middle or up in the zone. Um, the art of pitching is uh, kind of depleted, I think, in the minor leagues and in the big leagues. It's all about horsepower now. Um, but I do believe if the strike zone changes again and goes back to the wider strike zone, then we're going to have to be, you know, totally different pitchers. And, um, you know, we've combated the the high, you know, the launch angle before it was a sinker and these guys had to learn how to lift that. They learned how to lift that. So then we started going above the sinkers and now we're going to see what's happening with the strike zone and we'll see how we have to adapt to it again. You know, you bring up Gibson and I remember the 68 series. He had 17 strikeouts in game one and everybody kept looking for fastball slider, fastball slider. He threw four curveballs in that, in that one game <clears> and all of a sudden Detroit was done. I mean, they had no – because they'd never seen it before. And right. he didn't really throw it a lot during the season, but because of the fact that he knew that they had scouted him, he wanted to just give them something else to think about. So we don't know what the velocity was. Let's just say he was throwing 95 with a nasty biting right. uh, uh, slider. So now a guy sitting in the on-deck circle said, look for the fastball, look for the slider. Now he sees a curveball. Now that it was game over. That's how he ended up with 17 punch-outs. Hey, with that said, and you brought up velocity, are we missing – are kids being missed because they don't throw 92, 93 oh. as a child, but they may have good location, but because they, they don't have the velocity, we overlook it, and maybe that kid survives longer – than the kid who was uh, a guy who's throwing 90 plus. Yeah, I think so. I totally, because I think one thing that's happened in, in the industry is uh, those old fashioned bird dogs who are out there all the time, you know, going to high school games, going to here, going to find this kid that does something good. It's all on computers now. And they look at the fancy numbers. They look at any pitch and strikeouts and they, you know, once they see a guy like that, they go check him out. And most of those kids are throwing harder than the others. Um, uh, we, we, it seems like we're trying to draft them. We love as pitching because we love those big horses that are, you know, six, five and two ten. but, uh, you know, there's a lot of five ten, you know, 195 pound kids that can, that can paint on both sides of the plate that are going to show you the difference between a pitcher and a thrower, but the throwers are the ones that get all the attention because of the horsepower and the strikeouts and all the, 
the so-called, I guess, the sexy numbers, the strikeouts and the, and the, you know, lighten up the radar gun. Those are the kids that get noticed. And those are the kids that they get drafted high. And, and usually those kids are the ones that leave the, the little towns and they go to the big universities and they get all the exposure. And then they end up with Tommy John five years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that elbow can only take so much stress. And, uh, you know, the more we put on it, it's like you said earlier, it's an unnatural act to throw a baseball. Um, you know, if we could, uh, if we were all uh, fast pitch softball pitchers, maybe our arms would be held <laughs> a little bit better. So what are the risks of throwing? You have a kid, parents are listening to this. The kids are 13, 12, 13. Number one, when, when do you think it's okay to throw hard and, and, and work on velocity? What's the age differential there? And, and do you see a lot of injuries? You know, as an orthopedic surgeon that does primarily sports, I mean, we're doing TJs on kids 15, 14, <laughs> 15 years old, and all they're doing is working the radar gun. You know, they're not, they're not really learning pitching technique. And a, a lot of the coaches that I talk to, and their patients, their ex-Cardinal players, a lot of them are, you know, slow down, don't throw so hard. So, so what are the injuries, what are the risks of throwing hard when you're young? And, and when do you feel it's safer, somebody out there, to really try to work on their velocity? Well, I, I, you know, I was able to throw hard when I was younger. But that's just, you know, I think that's a God-given talent to be able to throw hard at that age. Um, my whole thing with the younger kids are trying to teach them not to throw breaking balls too early. Uh, I know that the select teams, you know, they all want to go to the national championships and, and this and that. And when you have a good breaking ball, they want to throw it a lot because it's harder to hit. But, uh, you know, if I if I was in charge of one of those organizations, I mean, I would be fastball sinkers and uh, change ups. You know, I would I think, as you would know, as a doctor, I don't think it's it's healthy for kids to be throwing breaking balls until you could find if you could actually see when their growth plates are done. You know, that kind of thing. And, and x-rays show that, MRIs show that. Because uh, I don't think if, if when those if those growth plates haven't closed up yet, there's so much stress on those bones and those ligaments. Um, the best pitch in baseball is still a really good changeup. And if somebody can match that at a young age, they're ahead of the game. Um, but I understand it. Parents think that their kid's the next, uh, you know, Max Scherzer or the next Adam Wainwright and they want him to go to a big school. They want him to get a scholarship. But as I heard John Smoltz said one time, if he's good at baseball at uh, in the summer and June, he's going to be good at it again next June too. So let him play all sports. Um, I just think those kids throwing year round is a little much. Yeah. Hey, hey, you mentioned Adam Wainwright, and and I've always felt. When you look at size and strength, he is the poster child for guys who learn how to pitch. He doesn't have a lot of velocity. He'll tell you the hardest he may have ever thrown might have tipped 93. But mm -hmm. he's been around for a long time because he had great control, good location. And he had TJ as well. But mm -hmm. is it, but it just goes to show you don't have to be this big, strong brute and throw 98 miles an hour to be effective. And I think Adam certainly points that out. You know, the thing that, that, that amazes me about Adam is, yes, he's learned how to pitch. He's got good movement on his pitches. He's got an unbelievable curveball, as everybody knows, and he can throw it any time he wants to for in any count. And, uh, you know, that just makes his, say, I think maybe this year he probably topped out at 92 at times. It just mm -hmm. makes that 92 look 98 when they're looking for that big curveball. 
Um, him and Yachty work unbelievable together. I mean, I don't even think that they hardly even give signs to each other anymore. It's, um, it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, proud of Adam for what he's, he's accomplished in his career. I mean, I remember him coming up in 06 and uh, taking over that closers role and the rest is history um, after my hip surgery and just watching him evolve from, uh, you know, green behind the ears kid in Atlanta to what he's become now to be a, uh, you know, a franchise idol for one of the best franchises in baseball. It's, it's pretty amazing to watch. Um, he's got one more year under his belt coming up and, uh, it's going to be fun to watch him do it again. Uh, I think what he does is he's very competitive and, uh, you know, he doesn't give in. He's going to, uh, his main goal is to outlast that other pitcher on the other side. So, um, you know, it's going to be fun to watch him do it again. Hey, hey, final question for me is he, and by the way, um, I, I realize that you probably had more days in rehab than you had saves in the major leagues, <laughs> not to mention you, you probably uh, have your degree in kinesiology because you know the human body as well as anybody with all the surgeries and rehabs you've gone through. But as, as I finish, what advice do you give parents and kids? Because all, all parents have throwers. They don't have pitchers in their families. What, is, what advice would you give both? as they try and move to the next level, uh, aside from trying to have fun with this? Well, you know, I always try to tell the kids to have a little fun, but, um, you know, listen to your body, you know, and I think parents need to listen to their children, you know, when they're sore, don't push them, uh, especially at, the, at that younger age. Uh, they're sore for a reason. And I remember I was never sore as a kid. You know, I could throw all day long, but then when it started to get sore, I knew that there was something wrong. Um, but uh, just, I think the more main thing is is to trust your gut. Uh, let kids be kids and let them uh, let them play other sports. I think you know athletes are going to be athletes. Um, give their body a rest from doing one sport over and over again. That way they don't burn out for one and they don't overwork those those particular joints that are getting all the all the work in. And I think uh, my best advice is. Whatever got you to this level is not necessarily going to get you to the next level. So be open to change and, and uh, be open to growth. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, listen, you guys, thank you very much. I mean, this this was tremendous, and thank you for your time. I think the listeners out there, you know, really get a treat listening to you guys talk about a storied career for both of you. So, again, thank you. No, Anytime, thank you. Rick. Good visiting with you. And now I'm going to go ice my body now. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right. I, I have a couple of questions. One of the yes, guys sir. that I used to get frustrated with when I was uh, watching a lot of baseball is Greg Maddox. He was the one that just never threw really hard, but he was getting people out. And it was just driving me crazy. And, I, and, and you bring up a good point about just the ability to be able to uh, hit those spots and be able to pitch properly. And I was just, always was amazed with Greg Maddox. Now, back to Bob Gibson. So you go out on YouTube, right? And I don't care if he's pitching whatever he's pitching. He's just an intimidating figure. Even on YouTube, I even get nervous watching him on YouTube. I, like he's going <laughs> to yell at me. And I don't know why. He had right. those he had those eyeballs that looked like they'd go right through you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, a lot. I mean, I think a lot of it had to do, I mean, you know, with the black and white pictures back in the day, but oh, those, the whites of those eyeballs would look like it'd stare right through you and burn a hole right through the middle of you. 
And, and you know, the other thing he had working for him is he had that aura where he didn't talk to the opposition. And if you were on his team and you were pit- he was pitching that day and he saw you talking to the opposition, <laughs> then there was going to be a conversation that you didn't want to have. Uh, he, he, he may have been one of the most intimidating pitchers we've ever had in baseball. I agree with you hundred percent, Mike, because I, like I said, I go out to YouTube and I'm like, yeah, just check out some Bob Gibson and I'm getting intimidated and, and it's all digital, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to walk away and disappoint Bob digitally. That's for Dr. <laughs> yeah. Now, one last question. Uh, this is to you, Jason. Uh, tell us, tell me, now you can tell everybody else, but I want to know the immaculate inning. Tell me about that. There's a, um, the immaculate inning. You you yeah. you struck out a bunch of people on three pitches, <laughs> three times. Well, How was that? I, I think of it as this. I mean, I was taught at a young age, and three pitches or less, the guy should be in the dugout or on first base. So, <laughs> my job is to throw the best pitch that I can throw and throw it for a strike. And you know, it just happens one of those days. You know, you get strike one. You get a foul ball, and you know, and then the next pitch is going to be a curveball, probably to strike him out. Because, I mean, once I got two strikes, that was my mindset. If I got two strikes quick, it was to strike them out and get them off the field. And it was just one of those days where everything clicked. I mean, it's not the easiest thing to do. I, there's been guys that have done it maybe more than once, but it's nothing more than just throwing strikes to not giving the guy. What I can't stand about today's game, they'll get 0-2 and they want to get to 3-2 because they think they're going to trick this guy. And I'm like, just bury them and get them off the field. And, um, you know, I still to this day teach those kids three pitches or less, put them in the dugout or put them on first base. We're going to, you know, you're going to be out there a while. That's interesting. I just remember as a kid, I was drop, I, I would uh, jump into the batting cage the 70 miles per hour batting cage and it <laughs> yeah. scared the hell out of me <laughs> i thought it was the fastest thing known to man all right you guys were just absolutely wonderful i really and i know that rick and concur really appreciate your time being on in your corner with core physical therapy thank you guys very very thank much. you very much all right thank once again listeners remember to go to corephysicaltherapy.com it is your one-stop shop Go out to that uh, wonderful website, root around, navigate. It's got some great answers. It might not have Rick's answers out there, but it has good answers. There you go. It's just a little digital trash talk right there. All right. Again, listeners, we're going to have a great uh, conversation shortly, so stay tuned.